Good morning, everyone. As Larry was playing there, I was just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude for the life the Lord has given us. And uh, let's just thank him. Father, we just um, agree with your word that every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above. And we're just so grateful to be your children, to be here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to be free to worship you and dig into your word together. We're just so grateful, Lord. Thank you for each person who's here, Father, and I pray that you would, uh, each one would hear your voice for their hearts, in their hearts this morning. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to bring a short exhortation this morning uh, called Lessons from the Ski Trip. Um, I, you know, had, I've had three years off uh, before that. As many, most of you know, I was the youth leader for a bunch of years and went, up, went on over 15 ski trips. And, uh, but this year I was invited as one of the adults. Uh, Lynn Clutter went, uh, Debbie Manchester, um, I'm forgetting the Paul Brigard and myself. And it was a great joy to be there. I want to tell you that Daniel and um, Kevin and Lauren are doing a great job uh, leading BASIC. We left uh, Daniel and Lauren's house at midnight and drove through the night. And you know the art of traveling uh, across country with a youth group, uh, there's an art to that. And uh, in the military, they call it logistics. It's the uh, science of getting materials and uh, people and supplies uh, where they need to be. And there's quite a bit of uh, military focus and science on logistics because many people believe that the art of, of winning a war is dependent more on logistics than actually on the fighting itself. For example, um, I, I just you know had some fun looking up quotes on logistics and Sun Tzu, who is credited with writing the, the Art of War, he said, the line between disorder and order lies in logistics. Another writer, Tom Peters, said, leaders win through logistics. Vision, sure. Strategy, yes, but when you go to war, you need to have both toilet paper and bullets at the right place at the right time. In other words, you must win through superior logistics. And even Alexander the Great uh, talked about logistics, which is interesting. He said, my, my logisticians are a humorous lot. They know if my campaign fails, they are the first ones I will slay. Well, uh, I don't think Daniel and Lauren were at risk of any of us slaying them, uh, but they were really really very good at moving this group of uh, interesting people across the country. On the spiritual side, uh, both Daniel and I uh, waited on the Lord for what he would say to the youth on that trip. And what he led us to, I think, is just so good and uh, that I wanted to share it with you today. There were five themes that the Lord... Um, seem to give, give us. Uh, the first one is to keep Christ first. 
The second one is ask God for a fresh revelation of himself in your daily life. The third was activate your warrior's heart. The fourth was um, be a lifelong learner, a lifelong disciple, make that decision. And the last one was share your faith. And I'll, you'll hear these many times throughout the message, so if you didn't, didn't get them down, uh, don't worry about it. Let's take a look at the first one, keep Christ first. Daniel began with this scripture out of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. This was actually an ancient creed in the early church. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. Daniel said, and he read these words the first night that we were there, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And Daniel charged us to keep Christ first in our lives. It was just a great kind of New Year's uh, thing to fasten on to and focus on to. As I, uh, I, I, I taught the... Uh, second or third night, and, um, you know, so Daniel having taught that, I couldn't help but think of other passages that deal with keeping Christ first, or the fact that he is first, and he's everything. Um, I bet in your minds, you're dialing up that passage in Colossians chapter 1. This was where my mind went as well. Starting in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then this is the the line that I was thinking of or, or jumped into my mind. So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. First place, a lot of versions say preeminence. That he might be the first in every sphere, every thought, every part of our lives. It's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? I mean, you can be a very committed Christian and still get distracted. David got distracted. He admitted it in Psalm uh, 55, verse 2. Let me turn there. He said, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the presence of the wicked, for they, uh, excuse me, I uh, jumped ahead of verse. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. Now, in this, in this psalm, it seems that what's distracting David is pressure from his enemies, the thought of his enemies pressing in. Can anybody relate to that? The thought of the enemies pre- pressing in brings, easily brings distraction on our focus upon the Lord. And then you have Mark chapter 4, verse 19. 
This is in the parable of the sower and the seeds, and Jesus talks about what chokes the word. And there's, he gives three things here, kind of triplets, if you will. Um, he says, um, these are the ones who have heard the word. Let me back up. Others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word and the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in. Boy, can we relate to that. And choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Bill uh, emailed me an article this week. Um, actually, Bill emails me many articles each week. <laughs> but uh, it's really funny. Bill will send me an article on marriage at about 11, 11.15, 11.30, and then 1 o'clock, maybe another one, and then about 2.30, he'll, he'll say, I'm sorry, this is the last one I'm sending you, uh, but he'll send me. So this was one called Why Young Men Aren't Manning Up, and it's based on a book called Manning Up, How the Rise of Women Has Turned Men into Boys. The author of this book says that while young women have been energized by historic, unprecedented opportunities for a self-supporting career in the workplace, Young men have been gradually shrinking from adult responsibilities, such as marriage, job, and family, in favor of entertainment and diversion. We've seen that in our culture, haven't we? Uh, that young men are having a tough time uh, growing up and being responsible. One of the games we like to play, or I like to play, uh, in the vans, um, you know, as you drive hour after hour, is asking the question of the kids, if you could be the best of, at anything in the world, what would you want to be the very best at? And uh, we enjoy bouncing that question around. We've asked it for years. Um, we were playing that game on the way to the slopes the first morning, and, um, and then it turned to this question, if you could have any goal or anything in your spiritual life, um, be successful right now, what would it be? And uh, Anne-Marie Brigard spoke up without hesitation, and she said it would be consistent hunger for God. Isn't that a wonderful answer? Keeping God first, keeping Christ verse first, a continual hunger for the living God. What a beautiful answer. And so I've been waking up this year and, and saying, Jesus, you're first today. You're everything today. And I, I just invite you to join me if you're having trouble uh, being distracted at times to pray that simple prayer in the morning. Um, Lord, you are first today, and you are everything today. Keep Christ first. The second emphasis that seemed to come from the Lord was ask God for a fresh revelation of himself in your daily life, meaning uh, the sense that I had was seeing him and hearing his voice 
as you go through life. You know, uh, you can have seasons where you're very committed to the Lord, but you're just, you're just not seeing him or hearing him as you go through your day. It doesn't seem like, like uh, there's any manifestation of his presence. Paul prayed a beautiful prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1, starting in verse 15 along these lines. He may not have been thinking about the idea of seeing God in everyday life, but he was praying for that deeper revelation of Christ for the Ephesians. He said, for this reason, I too, this is chapter 1, verse 15, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. How many would like that? A spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then this beautiful line, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And perhaps this line applies to our everyday life in a visible way. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. One uh, life in our culture that where it's easy these days to see God at work is um, this, um, this Tim Tebow for the Denver Broncos. I, I know there's a lot of Tebow mania, uh, so-called, in our culture right now, and uh, I'm sorry if you're a little tired of that. But um, this young man right now is, is really uh, catching the attention of a lot of people. I, I personally was not following him very closely until the Broncos beat the Steelers in the first playoff game. I see we have a, a Broncos fan there or, or else someone who hates the Steelers. I don't know which. But, uh, yeah, I was rooting for him, too, to, to, and, and the Broncos. And um, after the game, the, the next day, a lot of the newscasters were talking about um, the fact, some of the stats of the game. You know, in the, in, in the, um, in the NFL, you can't, they, the players can wear this eye black. Um, and in college, uh, Tim Tebow would write John 3.16 in his eye black. And, um, but I, as these, these newscasters were talking about uh, these stats, I wondered if in the NFL you could, you could still do that because you don't see it in the NFL. So anyway, the stats on this game were, the, were that he threw for 316 yards total and also that the average pass uh, was 31.6 yards. And so a lot of newscasters were we're talking about this. Even Sam Shepard on Fox News, who's kind of a liberal, he's supposed to be the young, hip guy who's kind of liberal and pro-gay and, and um, you know, secular. Um, even he said, this is spooky. 
And so I started to, that got me curious about the eye black thing, so I started reading about that, and I want to uh, let you know that the NFL, I guess, has had rules against writing little messages for years, but, um, but still, listen to this, this is from the Palm Beach Post, sports uh, magazine or, or newspaper, it says, Tim Tebow may have used up his four years of eligibility, but that doesn't mean he can't still have an impact on college football. The NCAA's Football Rules Committee is proposing a ban on Tebow's most identifiable feature, the Bible verses on his eye black. The new proposal introduced Thursday would ban all the words, logos, numbers, and other symbols on the player's eye black beginning in the 2010 season, and indeed, the NCAA did do that. Um, so now in college, you can't do that um, either. The NCAA didn't mention Tebow by name, but the rule was already being unofficially dubbed the Tebow rule by media and fans on Friday morning. Hundreds of college football players used their eye black to boast of their hometown, home area, code, or love of a mother or girlfriend. But Tebow, a devout Christian, is the most prominent example of a player using his eye black as a personal billboard, having used it the past two seasons to put a Bible verse, to print a Bible verse and promote his faith. After the 2009 BCS championship game, 92 million people Googled John 3.16, the verse Tebow wore during the game, um, and so on. I also heard that uh, three of the uh, great quarterbacks of the game, John Elway, Kurt Warner, and Jake Plummer, were all telling Tebow to tone down his, his Christian witness. Especially Jake Plummer said, okay, we get it. You know, anytime there's a good handoff, you don't have to thank Jesus. You know, uh, we get it. Um, and uh, Tebow had this fantastic response. Listen to what he said. He said, if you're married and you have a wife and you really love your wife, it's, is it good enough to only say to your wife, I love her the day you get married? Or should you tell her every single day when you wake up and every opportunity? That's how I feel about my relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is, how, and that is the most important thing in my life. So anytime I get an opportunity to tell him that I love him, or given an opportunity to shout him out on national TV, I'm going to take that opportunity. And so I look at it as a relationship that I have with him, that I want to give him the honor and glory anytime I have the opportunity. And then right after I give him the honor and glory, I always try to give my teammates the honor and glory. And that's how it works, because Christ comes first in my life, and then my family, and then my teammates. I respect Jake's opinion. And I really appreciate his compliment of calling me a winner. But I feel like any time I get the opportunity to give the Lord some praise, he's due for it. Isn't that beautiful? And so uh, seeing God work and taking opportunity in your daily life, uh, Lord, give us a fresh revelation of yourself and all that you are.
as we continued to uh, play that game in the van about what, what would you want if you could have anything. Andy McCoy, who is Jerry and Ann McCoy's, uh, one, of the, one of their boys, uh, said, I, I would love to be able to discern every moment of every day what the Holy Spirit is doing and what he's saying to me and asking of me. And just a, a beautiful prayer along with that sentiment of a fresh revelation of God moving in our daily life. The third thing uh, it seemed like God was stressing is activate your warrior's heart. You know, the Christian life is not a passive life, is it? Don was testifying of that earlier, but the Christian life is a battle, and uh, it needs to be approached that way. We're fighting... um, And we must do spiritual warfare over our minds, our hearts, our affections, every day of our existence. Psalm 144, verse 1, is a a wonderful verse that I like a lot. It's where David said, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, for he trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. Excuse me, it's my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Now, David was talking about physical warfare, but we have this spiritual warfare going on, don't we? Um, we read that verse in 2 Corinthians 2.11, that in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So what are his schemes? Let's just... Let's just bring those to light for a minute. Well, certainly there's, um, he loves to get us ground down into depression, doesn't he? He loves to bring division. He loves to bring condemnation. That's a huge one. In Revelation, we read about the continual wearing down of the saints. I think he wants to get us comparing ourselves to each other. Um... Habitual sin, getting us trapped in a habitual sin or the belief that I'm not needed in the body of Christ. Bitterness, shame, discouragement, all these things. Certainly fear and even uh, to get us to quit. If he can just, he doesn't need to kill us if he can just get us to be unfruitful. And so I was thinking about a video that Tim Chase, remember remember, uh, Tim and Janet Chase, Patty and Dave, one of their daughters? Uh, Tim came and spoke at BASIC, and he showed this video, I think I've mentioned it before in a message, of this pack of wolves uh, chasing down a baby caribou. And you're up in a plane, and you're looking down at this pack of wolves siphoning off this baby caribou. And so this baby caribou is just just running, you know, and the, the, the voiceover is saying that the wolves don't have the speed or the endurance that the baby caribou does, that if the baby caribou will just keep running, uh, it's, it's safe, but if it quits, its life is over, and sadly, right at that moment, the baby caribou quits running because she thinks she's done. And in fact, then she is. And so this idea of getting us to quit is a big scheme 
of the enemy. Also, fear. Um, I had a lot of fun riding up the lift with Thomas. Thomas, I'm going to talk about you a little bit. I hope you don't mind. We had a blast skiing together the first day and a half. And Thomas is uh, afraid of heights. And so we would be on the chairlift, you know, going up the mountain, and Thomas would be fighting to control his breathing. He'd, he'd be, you know, because he's scared. And, um, but he'd be talking at the same time, and we were looking down at some little kids who were, you know, about this high. And if, if you ever go skiing, these little kids about this high just discourage you because they're, they're so good. And they're so fearless uh, on the slopes. And Thomas was, we were talking about that, and Thomas kind of flipped over into the spiritual, and he said, yeah, we need, to, we need to get them when they're young because they have no fear. And I thought, what a great, what a great truth. Even as he's breathing hard there, fighting his own fear. Uh, I, Rachel told me just a minute ago during the, the um, talking time that, that she was with Thomas on the third day going up an even bigger mountain, and uh, he's, he was asking her, do you, do you have to be baptized to be saved? <laughs> because he was scared he was going to fall off. So, <laughs> Thomas, you might want to talk to the elders about the need to get baptized. So how do we fight these thoughts? Well, we fight them. How do we do spiritual warfare? Well, you and I know we do it with the word of God. Amen? Maybe we could, um, perhaps we would turn to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe we would memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Maybe we'd meditate on 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. And such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Maybe we would hang on to 1 John 3, 18 through 20. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. In the Message Bible, it says God is greater than our self-criticism. How many of you can relate to the sense that you're busy condemning yourself or self-criticizing, and yet you know the Lord is bigger than that, and that he knows your heart, and that uh, he is with you, and that he loves you? Sometimes we get into that self-criticizing. Maybe we would revel in Psalm 3.3. I think this is one we should all have memorized. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me the glory and the lifter of my head. That's a beautiful verse to counter that shame that the enemy wants to put upon us. Activate your warrior's heart. Then the fourth message uh, was be a lifelong learner. The term disciple um, actually means learner. 
And the word disciple is used in the Gospels and the book of Acts more than any other term to describe who we are or who the followers of Jesus are. Disciple means a lifelong or a learner. This was a, a theme that Bruce, uh, Bruce was able to go on the ski trip a year ago, and this is a theme that he, that he received to challenge the kids to make the decision right then that they would be a lifelong learner, not just a one, two, three, four-year learner, but a lifelong learner, a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. I remember Chuck Ferry used to say, uh, be a finisher, be a finisher. God was calling the kids to make that decision once again that I will be a lifelong learner, I will be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Abby Hullinger and I were riding up the ski lift on, I believe, the second day, and we were talking about, um, I guess I was talking about, um, those cooking shows on TV. Laura's got me kind of hooked on these cooking shows where they frenetically are chopping and they're sweating into the food and, and uh, they're going to get chopped, you know, and all this stuff. And um, uh, So Abby was saying that at her college, uh, um, Colorado Christian, that I don't remember if she said she's taking home ec or if it's a very popular course. But anyway, these words came out of her mouth, and I, I really thought these were amazing. She said, competence is chic. And that's so different than where the youth were at, where young people were at 10 years ago, in my opinion. In my opinion, 10 years ago, um, it was the airheads, the free-spirited, feelings-led, artistic temperament that was chic in youth culture, at least youth Christian culture. But Abby was telling me, and I, I, I believe it, that there's a new day among our young people and that competence in, in very many fields, whether you're a musician or, or whatever field you choose to be excited about, um, that competence and being excellent in that arena is what's chic now. Um, I think that's a wonderful shift, and I'm so glad for it. Be a lifelong disciple. The most competent theologian or greatest theologian that America has produced, it's often said, was Jonathan Edwards, and that his was a mind in love with God. I believe that was what Piper said of him. I want to read just a couple of, of excerpts about Edwards written by John Piper. More important than making all things his own in unique ways was Edward's riveted focus on God and his unwavering passion to see all that could be seen of God in this life. To live with all my might while I do live was one of his resolutions. He was a man who put faithfulness to the word of God before every other consideration seeing the unlimited expanse of divine reality that is really there in Scripture, not imagining new things, was his passion. In modern words, Piper said that Edwards said, we have scarcely begun to see all of God that the Scriptures give us to see, and what we have not yet seen 
is exceedingly glorious. What a great focus to be that lifelong learner in God's Word, to not let the Word feel like, to not feel like I know the Word, I know all the Word has to say. Are we continually learning and growing or have we stalled out and grown apathetic in our walk with God? Could we use more of Edward's mindset that there are riches untold yet to be discovered? I hope so. The last theme was share your faith. And uh, Daniel just touched on this in a light-handed way the first night that he taught. But it's so true. This great faith that we have is not for us alone, is it? It's for everyone to hear, everyone to have a chance to respond to. Matthew 28, 19, we've read many times from this pulpit, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, as a church, we self-identify as a missions church, don't we? We self-identify as a New Testament church. We self-identify as a praying church. But, and sometimes we also self-identify as being a great commission church. I appreciate Gordon and his emphasis on this theme many times and in many ways in his messages. Let's be a great commission church. In Acts 1.8, I've been thinking about this phrase a lot, and you shall be my witnesses. Those of us who stay by the stuff and don't go out on the mission field, it still behooves us, it's still our mandate to be his witnesses here in our community and everywhere we, can, everywhere we go. Let's be praying more fervently for fire in our belly to witness. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may, what? Do you remember this verse? You may proclaim the excellencies who've called you out of darkness, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What I'd like to do is, is um, I've asked a few of the elders to come and just briefly pray over any of us who would like to make some advances in any of these areas. When the kids, when we had prayer for these areas on the ski trip, I pictured, I pictured in my mind certain kids responding to certain points, but actually they all got in the middle and they wouldn't move. They, you know, they wanted it all. And um, my prayer is that there's at least one point here that you feel you could use improvement in, and you want to ask God for improvement in that area. So let me read them again. The elders are going to just be on the floor here and pray. Uh, Jim Garrett will first pray for keeping Christ first. Then Dave will pray for a fresh walk with God. I'll pray for activating the warrior within. Bruce will pray for being a lifelong learner. And Gordon for sharing your faith. So brothers, would you come? And if you would like prayer about keeping Christ first, uh, I'd like you to stand.
and um, you know, we know that Christ is first in your life, but sometimes we get distracted. And so if you need help with that focus, just reach out to God and and if you're around these people, let's, let's let the body minister to the body, too. So if you see someone, feel free to gather around them and pray for them while Jim prays. Father God, we are thankful that indeed you truly are Lord of all. We acknowledge, O oh God, that the things of this life so easily capture our eyes and our thoughts. We know, Lord, that for that to change, it has to come from within as the Holy Spirit inhabits us. Yes, Jesus. And we surrender to cooperate with that Spirit. So, Lord, we indeed ask that by your Spirit, we might increasingly be conscious of your Lordship over everything. Yes, Lord. And everything to which we put our hands, O oh God, might be done to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything to which we put our hands might be done as an act of worship unto you, O oh God. We ask you, Lord, to not restrain yourself, but to assert your lordship over our lives as we seek to the degree that we are able within ourselves to surrender to you and trust that your Holy Spirit will bring that to greater reality. Thank you, Father. Through Jesus, amen. Thank you, Lord. The way we advance is through prayer, and so now we're going to pray for those who, would, who resonated with that idea of a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ and a fresh sense of his activity in our lives, being able to see him, being able to hear him. David, you pray. So stand if you'd like prayer for that. And again, please gather around those who are standing. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can call out to you as in Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call unto me and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask for your spirit of revelation in our daily activities, in the daily grind that each of us face. Father, I ask that in the challenges that each of us face, we would see you. We would see you walking in our midst. Yes, Lord. We would see miracles, Lord. Yes. Jesus. Miracles of healing. Miracles of changed lives. Father, I think about in my situation, Lord, the challenges I see of kids not knowing you, not even knowing what is prayer. Lord, I ask that wherever we are, whether it's at a gas pump or in a classroom setting, Father, I ask you reveal to us your grace, your mercy, most of all, your amazing power yes, Lord. to equip us to share 
the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Next, we're going to pray for activating the warrior within. This is the one about spiritual warfare. If you feel like you need help in uh, fighting over your own soul and for uh, the thoughts, affections, the, the things that you war against in your mind, uh, I'd like to pray for those things. So would you stand and if that's an area you'd like to make advance and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you that you have equipped us to know the schemes of the enemy, that they are not secret to us. We, father, we ask, Father, that you would train our hands for war and our fingers for battle. We pray, Father, that we would become very skilled at taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We pray that we would use your word more effectively as that sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No matter what the challenge, Lord, we pray that verses from your word would fly into our minds and our spirits to do warfare against these thoughts, against these lies of the enemy. We pray that we could brush them aside, we could run to you, we could take them captive. We pray we'd be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who know how to handle your word and, as your scriptures say, rightly divide it. We pray we'd be very close to your word, very steeped in your word, and that in your word and in your presence we would be safe. We know your thoughts are not our thoughts. So I pray for those who are standing right now, Lord. I ask for an extra measure of equipping, an extra measure of freedom, an extra measure of breakthrough. Uh, we pray for that Christus Victor mentality that Christ will be victorious in my situation. We pray for any who are languishing with depression or burdens that are mental or emotional. We pray for a, a breakthrough very, very soon, Lord, even now, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, that you have equipped us, that we are adequate ministers of the gospel. We praise you and bless you, even in midst our challenges, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now Bruce is going to play, pray for any who would like to make a commitment or recommit to being a lifelong disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, maybe things have grown stagnant or we'll just let the Holy Spirit apply that as how he, he wants. But if you'd like prayer for that area, would you stand please and let Bruce pray for you. What a privilege. Lord, we ask the things that were shared this morning about keeping you first, seeking you daily, that these would be things that would apply to our lives throughout our whole lives, 
that day after day, year after year, we would seek you first. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray especially for the young people this morning that uh, they would make decisions to, when they go to college, to continue to be servants of Christ, to be learners of Christ, to be those that would shine your light to their fellow students. Lord, I pray as the young people grow that they would decide to only marry a believer, to make that commitment even now that I will only marry another Christian. Lord, to stay in fellowship. Lord, help us all to remember the importance of staying in fellowship, Lord. Yes, Jesus. God, I just pray for all of us, whatever stage of life we're in, that we would be making that decision that for the rest of our life we're going to serve you. For the rest of our life we're going to keep you close. For the rest of our life we're going to seek you and continue to learn from you. And Lord, to not be like the self-satisfied rich man who filled his barns with grain and decided he could take it easy the rest of his life. So many of us have heard so many good teachings over the years and could easily just sit aside on those things. But Lord, give us hunger for you to continue to seek you, to learn from you. Lord, to serve you with our whole hearts, with the giftings that you've given us. And Lord, to envision us to look forward to that day when we will hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we want to seek you the rest of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. And then finally, Gordon's going to pray for those of us who would like to improve in the area of sharing our faith. So, Gordon, would you come? Please stand if that's you and you'd like to make advance through prayer in this area. Lord, I just want to thank you for the many opportunities that we have throughout the day to share the gospel with the lost and those who are hurting. Remember the verse that said the people uh, are wandering as without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. So, Lord, just give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak. The other verse talks about how you will put the words in our mouths if we will but open our mouths. That the very power of God uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit be a witness uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, let us take responsibility of this area that we have before us. Give us eyes to see and a heart to feel what you feel for these people that we could not but speak, we could not but deliver our soul. And, Lord, as we move forth into this, just increase our faith and encourage us by the responses that we see. Uh, from people who are so hungry. In Jesus' name, amen.